0: Hey, this is Jen Johans at Filmintuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends. If Watch with Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Roxana Hadadi. Witty, singular, and iconoclastic. Iranian American feminist pop culture writer Roxana Zivar Hadadi is a film and television critic who's been published by RogerEbert.com, The AV Club, Crooked Marquee, Vulture, The Playlist, and Brightwall Dark Room. A bright light on Twitter with her fresh perspectives and bold humor, the Baltimore based Roxana, who holds a master's in literature, is a member of the DC Area Film Critics Association, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, the Online Film Critics Society, and is a contributing approved critic to Rotten Tomatoes as well. I am greatly looking forward to talking with her about film and writing today. So welcome Roxana to Watch With Jen and Friends. Well, dive in. So Roxana, yeah. how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? <sighs>
1: I think I'm doing okay or as okay as can be expected. I feel very lucky in that like a lot of my, a lot of the details of my life have not changed. Like Mm -hmm. my day job transitioned pretty easily into teleworking. We're going to be teleworking through March of next year. I feel very lucky in that way. Like it's just sort of that, overwhelming existential dread that has made a lot of things very difficult on a day to day basis so it's one of those things where it's like you know you feel like you're doing okay with like an asterisk
0: Um, (laughs) yeah for 2020 I'm fine yeah
1: (laughs) yeah like for all the insanity of what this year could be I guess I'm doing okay Um, but there are certainly a lot of times where I just feel like am I doing enough Am I doing anything, you know? And I feel like as a writer, you kind of exist in that middle space of, well, I don't want to speak for you. For myself, I exist in that middle space of like hating something I wrote or Mm. thinking it's really good. And then as soon as it's done, like it's great and you're proud of it. And then just one day it leaves your brain and it's on to the next thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I feel like that strange rhythm has also sort of exacerbated this year. Where there's been a lot of stuff that I've written that I'm really proud of, but, like, if somebody asked me, I think it would be hard for me to list what they are, yeah. just because there's such a strange rhythm to this year and trying to produce anything, you know, anything that feels of value. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay okay with an asterisk, I think is, <laughs> I think is where I am.
0: No, well, it sounds like you're doing well, though. I mean, you are such a talented, accomplished and original writer. When a new piece that you've written hits, it quickly becomes like the film Twitter must read of the day. So I know a lot of people listening would be curious to know how you first became interested in film or writing about film.
1: Well, first of all, thank you that's very kind. I never feel that way <laughs> a lot of oh, times. Really? I feel like I, no, oh. a lot of times I just feel like I'm sort of yelling into the abyss. But again, that is just very <laughs> much that's just very much my own, you know, my own myopia. Um how yeah. did I become interested in film? I I think I've told this story before, um but it is very it's very formative for me. I think I really became interested in film because my parents are I don't want to say like movie buffs, but they really enjoy movies. Like they oh, really cool. love them. So I grew up watching a lot of movies. Um, and my parents are Iranian immigrants. So when they were growing up under the Shah, there were like movie theaters and stuff that you could go to. Um, And I think they did that a lot. My dad is a little bit older than my mom. So I think he did that more often because he was like more of an adult in Iran. Mm -hmm. So they very much enjoyed that rhythm of like going to the movies and seeing new things. And so they really liked a lot of classic films. Like they love David Lean. They love Lawrence of Arabia. They love Dr. Zhivago. They love Bridge on the River Kwai. So a lot of those classics are what I grew up watching with them.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: And I just really love those movies. And I think that sort of routine of like, we would always watch something Friday nights. And then I would usually watch something like Saturday during the day on like UPN or something. And then there would be like, then there would be like (laughs) a movie on like PBS that we would watch like Saturday night. And then Sunday night we always watched 60 minutes, me and my dad. So like the weekend is very much like a movie heavy time and like a news journalism heavy time. So that I think was really the basis of it, just coming from my parents being really into that. And I think when I really started thinking about like writing about it, um, I was always into writing in high school, you know, in high school, which now feels like a millennia ago. I was on my (laughs) high school paper and then like on my college paper. And then when I was in college, I became the editor of my, uh, college newspapers entertainment section and that really was what transitioned me more into writing um and i interned one summer at the washington post express which no longer exists but it was like a daily that the washington post put out and then Um, It was circulated, like, to metro riders and commuters and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. and I had interned there for a summer, and then my editor left to go be the editor of just, like, a regional family magazine here in our area, and she reached out to me and asked um, if I wanted to start doing movie reviews for them because they were trying to expand their movie blog, and I guess that was the first, like, non-college, like, professional writing thing I started and then I don't know it just it just sort of went from there um, and I'm very honored and very lucky to write for the places I do and a lot of it strangely enough uh, well you know not strange I mean that's how you and I connected too it came about through Twitter so as much as Twitter is like a terrible cesspool where
2: yeah. so many <laughs> but, people,
1: but <laughs> has a lot of awful attributes but I have been very lucky that A lot of writing opportunities have come for me from Twitter. So in that way, it's not the worst website in the world, but it's Mm -hmm. pretty
0: bad. (laughs) 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 I know. I like to think the good outweighs it, though, because I've met so many wonderful people, yourself included, and made some close friends. And then just so many, pretty much every professional writing gig that I've gotten has been through Twitter since I've joined Twitter, I would say. Which is it's crazy, strange. but yeah, it's so strange how that's happened. And, yeah, yeah
1: it's just like I, you know, it has just been a few very lucky DMs that I've gotten where I'm like, oh, me? Okay,
0: yeah, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, are you working on anything new that you'd like to give us a sneak preview of, or is there anything we should be on the lookout for soon?
1: That's a good question. Um, I have filed something that. It honestly took me months to write, and I think it was a piece that I had just so hyped up in my head that it was very difficult to actually okay. take it from that space to, like, yeah. existing on the page, you know what I mean? Um, sure. And it was an essay about Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann version,
2: the perfect, okay.
1: a perfect film for our all of our times. Um, and I had pitched a couple places and gotten rejected. Um, and then uh, Brian Talarico from Roger Ebert was very excited about it and was very Aww. generous and giving me a couple Great months to work guy. on it. Yeah. He is like the best, the nicest. The yeah. nicest. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel so bad because he just is like the nicest person alive. And sometimes I'm like, too nice but um he gave me like a very long time to work on it very generously and that is filed and it should be coming out I think sometime this month so I'm really excited about that um I just just because I love that movie so much and it really takes me back to you know I was one of those teenage girls very in love with Leonardo DiCaprio today's his birthday happy birthday Leo um (laughs) and it really takes me back to that time and I just I, I just love a lot about that movie. So that's something that's coming up soon. It would be cool um, if people read that. And then also for Ebert, just something that I have wanted to write about for a while and at some point need to put down on paper again is I've really wanted to write an essay for a while about the films of Jeremy Saulnier, uh, Blue Ruin. The yes. room. yeah hold, um, hold the dark and i really want to write something just about how i feel like he is one of the only filmmakers working right now who understands sort of like working class life on the margins and how interesting yeah True. and how there is a lot of um How there is a lot of subtle discussion of, like, economic disparity in his work that we don't really talk about for the, like, subgenres that he's focusing on. Like, in terms of, like, the very difficult touring punk rock aesthetic of Green Ruin, of Green Room, Mm -hmm. or, like, the sort of more... Um, like rural Virginia based vibe of Blue Ruin. So I don't know, it's it's sort of percolating around in there and it's something that I've wanted to put down, but that's another one of those things where I really feel like I want to go back and study like all of the films really well to be able to mm-hmm. build like a cohesive through line. And sometimes that takes time. So yes,
0: I've pitched,
1: pitched it and it's been accepted. And I don't okay. know, maybe maybe in like Very six cool.
0: months. six months it'll happen (laughs) all right well when it does we'll bring you back no just kidding in six months (laughs) i'm looking forward to that i love those films well when we discussed getting together to do this episode i was so excited when you suggested sofia coppola because she's one of my favorite filmmakers Obviously, she just released a new film for Apple TV Plus called On the Rocks, which I really enjoyed, but it was so good to look back and revisit some of her earlier movies again beyond just my favorite, which is Lost in Translation, and it's one I weirdly watched and wrote about again over a month ago for this Focus Features box set that came out, so I feel like I've been kind of circling around her work for a little bit, so this was really perfect. So what is it about Sofia Coppola's movies that appeals to you or that you respond to so much, do you think?
1: This is a really good question because I think on a surface level, I feel like so much of what I write about as a writer would make you think that I should like loathe Sofia. Okay. (laughs) Because like her, like, you know, so many of her films, all of her films really are portraits of mostly rich white people and yeah. their rich white people problems. And mm-hmm. I very often yell on Twitter about how so often like TV and film mostly just focus on like a narrow slice of American life and how that's often like an upper middle class to like wealthy slice. Um and just that I think that gets sort of boring after a while. I mean, uh and An off-Sophia example is that I really liked Big Little Lies. It was enjoyable, it was good, it was self-contained. And then there was a second season of Big Little Lies, which was mostly just more, these ladies are rich and sad (laughs) narratives. (laughs) And now I'm writing about the undoing for Vulture. And the book version, the book that the series is based on, is very nuanced in how it talks about, like, class in new york city and how there are levels to being rich and being wealthy and just being like well off and there's a lot of detail in the book that the show completely threw out the window to again just make these characters like the one percent of the one percent so i think Mm -hmm. like i have been very vocal about how boring that can be yes but but. (laughs) but but i think the thing that sophia does really well is i think that she lets you into that world but mm-hmm. she always maintains a certain distance from it yeah. it's never throwing you into it and sort of being like isn't this amazing it's no, more
2: <laughs> Yeah
1: it's more casually analytical Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as much as we sort of scoff at the idea, like when people say like money can't buy you happiness or whatever, and how cliched that can be. I think she is one of the only filmmakers who like intuitively understands that. Mm -hmm. And I think creates films that explore that idea. And I also think that she is doing consistently throughout her career, I think is creating portraits of women who... I don't want to put this I I don't want to be flippant in this but I think that she creates portraits of women who might be unlikable and I think that yeah yeah, and I think that she does it without apology
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: I think that she creates those women with so much humanity to them that I think you step back and you're like Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Marie Antoinette sucked. Obviously we all know that, right? We all know yeah. the Marie Antoinette legend, but I think that she is taking like a fictionalized view at like, okay, but what is the interior life of someone like in that yeah. position? And I think that she is so interested in what's happening underneath the surface and about the reactions that we have as women that can be unique to our and that i don't necessarily think not to be reductionist but that i don't necessarily i think men can understand so i i don't know there's a lot there's a lot about sophia yes yeah. really really love and i think that so much of it and this is just like a very dumb half-baked theory but i think so much of it comes from like the horrible reception to her godfather 3 acting role that i think she stepped back yeah I i always feel like she like and again this is just my narrative in my head of who sophia is that i feel like she stepped back from that and thought to herself like okay so what can i say about this rarefied space in which i exist And what can I bring to that conversation versus Mm -hmm. being an actor and saying what somebody else's conversation is. So, like, that's always just, you know, that's just the, like, ridiculous (laughs) idea of her that I've built up in my mind. But um, I would feel like probably, I definitely know that the first thing I saw was Virgin Suicides. And I just remember thinking that movie was a spell and just really falling under it and loving it very much but i think you and i have talked about the fact that my favorite is somewhere
2: okay, and i yeah.
1: yeah i just adore that movie extremely and i just i don't know man i could keep going so i feel like you got to ask another question because i could just continue rambling for Oh a while.
0: no i i totally get that and i like what you were putting forward what i was thinking is i'm not sure if we should discuss them maybe chronologically and just kind of jump forwards and backwards as themes and actors and ideas grab you. Um, But I loved what you were saying about Godfather three. I feel like she was maybe starting to be fascinated by life as a Coppola and knowing that her life was different, even from childhood. There's a movie called New York stories that, Yeah, that three filmmakers made. I'm sure you're familiar, but I'm just explaining to those who are unfamiliar.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. um, Scorsese opens it. His short is my favorite. Woody Allen has one. And then Coppola has one called Life Without Zoe that Sophia, I believe, helped write. Or I don't think she wrote the whole thing, but she helped write it. And it was a little girl in a hotel. And it kind of foreshadowed these types of, Plot lines and characters that would fascinate her as what is happiness and what is it like when you have this privilege and you know your life is different and I feel like it was there and then I also think that there's a recurring theme of claustrophobia and shelter and it goes throughout and it made watching them these times uh, during this pandemic just very eerie and I feel like Yeah, watching him again now is definitely a trip. Well, the first one I saw, like you, was Virgin Suicides from 1999. That was her feature filmmaking debut based on the novel by Jeffrey Eugenides. I have not read that. Have you? (gasps) Yes. Oh, you have to. It's. Uh, I, I love Middlesex and I have not yeah. read this one. Okay. Yes. Love
1: Middlesex. Middlesex was my, one of my grad school thesis papers. Love oh, that wow. book.
0: Yeah, it's an yeah. amazing
1: book. Amazing book. Did not really like the marriage plot. Did you read the marriage plot? No, I haven't read. Okay, that one. yeah. That okay. was not ideal. But Virgin Suicides is beautiful, as haunting as the film. I think it's okay. it's a great adaptation because I think she really captured that lost sense of youth that the book puts forward. So I would definitely recommend it a quick read too. Cause I mean like oh, the yeah. movie is sort of it short does. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's not, not to say there's not a lot to it because I think it sticks with you and it sort of infects you with like it's melancholy energy, but it mm-hmm. goes pretty, it goes pretty quick. Um, And yes, love, love it. Love it. Love it.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: And what I love Two is it's her first collaboration with Kirsten Dunst. Tells Mm -hmm. the story of the last year in the life of the five Lisbon sisters who, Mm -hmm. like the Dutch elm tree afflicted trees in their yards of the 1970s Michigan neighborhood where it's set, are beautiful but gone too soon. And you know they're going to perish so what are your thoughts on the film overall you use the phrase spell which i thought is a great way to describe it because it does it hypnotizes you like as soon as you hear that song playground love by air as it starts you're just under the spell yes
1: Yes, so many things. First of all, Copla has, like, the best
0: soundtracks.
1: I she mean, does. we're probably going to talk about that later, but she
0: has the best soundtracks. I brought my and CDs out, like, I'm not nice. even kidding. Yes. <laughs>
1: like, air on that soundtrack, and then how often she uses the Strokes, and then obviously yeah. Phoenix, because she's married to their lead singer, Thomas Mars. So, yeah, yeah. so... Man, I I wrote a piece about the Virgin Suicides twentieth anniversary last year for Crooked Marquee, okay. and I think I think I used spell in that as well. Just because I think that there is there is an immediacy to how the movie lets you know that this is a tragedy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like it very much does not beat around the bush in that way. The narration. It draws you in so quickly to let you know that this is a story about regret and mystery and confusion. And I just love that because it really invites you into trying to solve the mystery along with those boys and thinking about, like, what did they go through 20 years ago and what are they still struggling to understand Mm -hmm. um so I really love that because I think it invites you in and it takes your hand in the beginning and sort of sets you along this path and I just think that I just think it's so and again like I was sort of and still am sort of like a melancholy sort of person and I think it really well captured that feeling as the younger sister says of like you don't know what it's like to be
2: A teenage girl you
1: know like you don't know what that feels like and so i think that your analysis of how isolated her characters are is spot on because this is right five sisters four sisters sisters that are trapped right by their like Mm -hmm. overbearing very religious parents and they begin to act out and i think the movie does a very good job of not judging them for how they're acting out, but making clear that this wasn't going to end well. No. You know, like yes. it's not whatever happens, even if they weren't going to all take their own lives, this situation is untenable.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think that this was the first movie where I think Coppola did a very good job building out and sense of what it also was like to be an observer. Because Mm -hmm. I think that so many of her films also have a character where you're sort of looking at this very isolated world and wondering, what is that like? And I think the boys of the neighborhood serve that function. And then you sort of see that role come up over and over again in her work. But yeah, I mean, it's a spell. The way that it's shot, it's very gauzy. It's very light-filled. You know, like, I feel like some of those scenes feel like a melting dream i mean you see the screenshot all over twitter but it's the one of kirsten dunst winking as the scene melts into you know into the sunlight and into like their foray into the flowers and i feel like there's so much about the beauty of that film that is also just deeply sad and i i always think about virgin suicides in connection to did you see woodshock no i have okay so woodshock was so um you know rodart the fashion house yes Okay, so the Malevi sisters of Rodart directed this movie, Woodshock, with Kirsten Dunst. And okay. it is very similar visually to Virgin Suicides in that it's a lot of, like, Dunst breaking the fourth wall and sort of okay. staring at us. And then a lot of those similar sort of, like, melting shots. But... The movie is very much that movie, very much is like the vibe of like a weird drug trip, and it's very interesting to see Dunst's career like bookended in that way. So mm-hmm. I would suggest you say it, but the reason I brought it up is because the Malevi sisters were like, oh yeah, the Virgin suicides obviously shaped, <laughs> obviously yeah. shaped our cinematic experience, and I think you see how much of a touchstone that movie has become for a lot of up and coming female filmmakers because I think it just captured something about female adolescents that I don't think a lot of other movies have been able to grasp, but I love it very much, very much,
0: very much. And I love how she's attracted to brightness. I think if, again, I don't want to stereotype all male filmmakers or even some filmmakers that are women would maybe be drawn to mostly a dark palette when they were making it. Mm -hmm. She goes for the light. We have that great shot of Kirsten Dunst winking, and there's a lot of sunlight, and sunlight is used in a sad way in the film. Like, uh, night is either of promise or excitement, like you don't know what the night is going to bring, Mm -hmm. and sun in that movie doesn't always carry that, and it's interesting. It kind of reminded me of a candle that is burning and is eventually yep just going to melt like what yep. you were saying melting and it never fails to just captivate me and of course depress the hell out of me by the end of the movie but <laughs> yeah it is just so beautiful
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's yeah it's such an exquisite film to begin her career on because it really does sort of put forth her ideas on womenhood and Mm -hmm. what our interior lives are like. Mm -hmm. And in contrast with the boys across the street, there's that great, great uh, monologue that narrator Giovanni Rubisi says about how they didn't understand each other at all. And like our job is really just to, I'm going to quote it wrong, but like give the noise that is there to fascinate them. And it's another thing when you're watching the movie, you realize the maturity levels are just so much different. It, watching it too, I think everybody looks at it mostly as a female film. But when you watch it again, you are taken in by these boys. And what did this experience I mean? You're never going to live that. And it's weird that it came out in 99 because that's the year technically I would have graduated from high school i started college a couple years earlier Mm -hmm. but 99 was the year and that's also the year of columbine and so i always think about that and i think are those kids going through or like how did that affect them and Mm so that kind of comes through in my head when i watch virgin suicides every time yeah yeah
1: yeah, I feel like it's a v- it's very interesting now watching it as an adult because I did rewatch it last year to write that piece. Um, mm-hmm. And then when it got the Criterion release, I also was like, I should watch it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like now that I'm older, I think I have so much more sympathy yes. for the boys. And I think I understand. Like, I think when I was younger, I think when I first watched it, I was like, oh, well, they were in love with them. And I just yeah. sort of yeah. dismissed that but i think now that i'm older i sort of realize well what kind of horrendous trauma must it be like even if they were in love with them to then yes. find all of their bodies it and to think right, in love with and, them. <laughs> right and to think like what could they have done differently and i think yeah. as i get older that sort of becomes the obsessive question for me is mm-hmm. i feel like the movie sort of makes clear that like the girls were on this path
2: mm-hmm. and they had
1: decided to be on this path and they stayed on it because they were together Whereas I think it True. also suggests I think it also suggests that like the boys are then consumed with this idea of like could we have done anything differently? Should we have not agreed to quote mm-hmm. unquote help them? Like, should we have not like gone to that weird basement party? You know, like there's yeah. so many things
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: there's so many things that you can think about. But yeah, that movie is also eminently quotable. I love the line of the outrageousness of a human being thinking only of herself. Like, I just, there's so much about it that's really beautifully written. And a lot of that is lifted directly from the novel.
0: So, yeah, I would,
1: yeah, I would definitely suggest reading it.
0: Oh, I'll have to. Yeah. Well, I, like I was saying before, it was really strange to watch the movies again right now because she Mm -hmm. does focus so purely and so often on characters and situations of people being sheltered and isolated, cut off. And while it happens basically in half of Virgin Suicides, it does carry through every one of her films, even the holiday specials she made for Netflix, which I love. <laughs> and But it's, I think, most synonymous with her filmmaking, with her most famous movie, Lost in Translation, which garnered her the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay in 03 and made her the first American woman ever nominated for Best Director, which was Bananas. I remember reading that when I was in film school. Yes, Mm -hmm. I've written about the movie a whole lot. I've done projects on it. I love it. I don't necessarily know anymore that it is her best quote-unquote movie, Mm -hmm. but it is my favorite, I think. It's the one I watch the most I think it's the most just thoroughly enjoyable. A lot of that is Bill Murray, the music, the beauty of Tokyo. So what do you think of Lost in Translation? What's your take on it?
2: I
1: I'm sort of mixed on Lost in Translation because okay. I both I am both very moved by the friendship relationship dynamic between Scarjo's character and Bill Murray. Like I think this was when I first really took Johansson seriously as an actress. Yes. Uh-huh. And I and I almost feel like I wish that she had another one of these sort of roles. But now she's so fully become like the action movie Black Widow Marvel Badass, but <laughs> I don't ever think we're gonna get back to that space. But mm-hmm. I think about her in this and I think about her in Ghost World and I just really miss like that version of Scarjo. You know Very what I much. mean? Yeah. 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 But I really like I love her and Bill Murray together. I mean, Bill Murray is so interesting to me because he's somebody who in a lot of things I think is too much. And I can't really tolerate it. Yeah, Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, whereas I feel like in Sofia Coppola movies, there's something about him, again, and I don't want to be, like, reductive, but there's something about his characters where he always plays somebody who seems like he is regretting something as soon as he does it. Yeah. Like, he leads with so much confidence and so much, like, bombastic energy. And then there is very much this undercurrent of, like, a little bit of wariness and a little bit of exhaustion. And so I really like the combination of their energies and their vibe. And again, like you have Giovanni Ribisi again. So it was interesting that like he was somebody that um, Coppola worked with a couple of times early on. That's sort of intriguing, but I also feel like sometimes when I rewatch it, I just feel like I can never really tell if the movie's presentation of Japan like you said is beautiful and if it is sort of painting it as like this beautiful place and scarjo just doesn't belong there or if the movie is sort of leaning on this foreign city is so strange and so other and so weird and whether like putting it in a place like tokyo is almost like a shortcut for getting us to think Like, oh, it would be weird to be there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily Uh, think it's, like, straight out. I don't think it's racist. Like, I don't think it's, like, not at all. Like, I don't think it's Orientalism. But sometimes I do wonder about the treatment of the city and just if it is almost walking that fine line of a little bit of just amping up its strangeness to make them feel so out of place so that's like the only thing that i think i yeah i think that's the only thing that more and more i sort of struggle with but in terms of again a character who you understand as being very privileged
2: Mm -hmm. And having
1: a lot of things that she's able to access, like, at a moment's notice because of her husband's position and because of this job and because of where she is or whatever. But you also understand that there is, like, a separate part of her life that cannot be accommodated by those things. Mm -hmm. Like, no matter, like, how much she has in that way, she is still longing for a deeper connection with her husband that isn't really there and just a deeper connection with anybody, right? I mean, that like mm-hmm. all encompassing loneliness, I think, is something that Coppola is very interested in. And you're right. I mean, she is very good at examining these like very rarefied spaces mm-hmm. where it would be very hard for somebody else to get into that space. But once very you're true. in there once you're in there you sort of think to yourself, like, Well is this it though? Like this is <laughs> This is the entirety of the experience, you know? So I think that that movie does that really well. And I do remember after it came out, the sort of obsessive discussion of like, well, what did Bill Murray whisper in her ear at the end? I do very much remember that. But so what are, I mean, is, so it's your favorite. So like, what is your take on it what makes it your favorite in comparison with all of her other work
2: a
0: lot of things i think i i understand what you were saying about using tokyo in that way i think a couple things that she needed it to use as symbolism for they're both at a he's going through like a midlife crisis she jokes you know did you buy a porsche yet she's going through a crisis of her own she finished college she's married but she's gotten all the things you're supposed to in life and she doesn't know that they're bringing her anything and i also think that being in a place that's known for spirituality and things is another reason that Copley uses it because that feels foreign to these characters right now they are wandering through they don't know where they are in life And also when you are in a foreign city, it it could even just be in a different city in America, you are going to connect a lot faster than you would with people in your own city because you're lost, because you're craving that connection. And I really respond to it. I also saw it Right after I had gone to school in Atlanta for a short period of time and went through something similar where it's like, what is this city and what am I doing here? (laughs) And, um, you know, I was 23 and I was like in I was stuck in a freshman dorm because I got my own room. And so I had all these, like, little baby sisters all of a sudden, and it was fine. And then it was like, what am I doing here? And, I mean, I love the girls, and it was an interesting environment and beautiful school. But it's actually the school where they shot Screen 2. Crazy! Uh, Yeah, it was Agnes Scott College. So I went there briefly, and then I was like, no, I need to go into film. So I returned home. And this was, like, the first movie I saw when I got back home. And so I watched it and completely just responded to it and the music bill murray bill murray was always one of my favorites and it's interesting you point that out because he does exude confidence and this sort of assholery i want to say almost yes. especially in like groundhog day i mean that yes. is just his shtick
2: That's his and thing, so yeah.
0: this is really a, a different side of him she knows how to wield his magnetism but also bring out his humanity It was interesting years later, I read a theory that it was maybe inspired by a time in her own life and a relationship she might have had with one of the actors in her father's films when, yes. And so then when I watched it this time, I realized the uh, main character played by Bill Murray was named Bob Harris. And so the first yes, the first two people that people had pointed out was is it Robert Duvall or is it Harrison Ford? Right. And yeah so I thought that was interesting because she's a very autobiographical filmmaker. Yes. She really is. I mean right down to the fact that Giovanni Ribisi is essentially playing her ex Spike Jones, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. poor Anna Ferris is playing essentially Cameron Diaz and when I watch that now I do feel like a little bit bad for Cameron Diaz. It does. That's a little bit of a character, but I can see it. Like I if feel that a was, little
1: bit bad. Yeah. But then I think like, well, Marriage Story is also pretty. You know. Like, yeah. Exactly. I think, I think we've a, had a. I think we've had a lot of movies where like filmmakers are just airing their shit out. Yeah. <laughs> And like, you know, it is what it is. I guess it's your life. (laughs) That's what you do. I guess it's your life. But I had never thought about the spiritual angle. That is a really fascinating way to think about Lost in Translation. Because I had never even considered that. So I might need to rewatch it and think about that.
0: I like that. Well, I think it comes through in the scene where she went and watched people chant and then she comes mm-hmm. home and she calls her friend right away and starts mm-hmm. crying. And her friend's like, oh, have the best time. And she's like, but I didn't feel anything. Yeah. From the chant. And it's a very, yeah. I, I
1: hadn't thought about that in a long time. That's a very and, good point.
0: Yeah. And then he calls his wife and wants to suddenly change his diet. Like I'm tired of eating pasta And she's like well maybe you should just stay there then And yeah the (laughs) wife Whoever was playing her was so fabulous Like the
2: Yeah
0: like Bob do I need to worry about you That's my favorite line But yes absolutely
1: Oh man I'm going to spend a lot of time Wondering who it could be I could see it being Duval Yeah yeah, I could definitely see it being Duval. Yeah. That's a really interesting theory. I hadn't thought about that either. Man. Oh, see, so this much is great. We're theater.
0: doing this. Yes. You're making yes. me like, think about things, and this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Well, next we have Marie Antoinette from 2006, which is Man. based or inspired by the book by Antonia Fraser. I actually did a screening series of movies I curated and chose this one. They made me do it first uh, at the library and I it kind of got everything off to a weird start because people were like what movies is she gonna show us now so people didn't really come to the next one which was zero effect and I was like ah Mm. but then after that I think they they realized what I was doing there but I do love it Sophia has admitted that it closes what she considers to be a coming-of-age trilogy with her earlier films. I think it's her most impressionistic movie to date. She has talked about that it's basically three separate um, color schemes and three separate periods in Marie Antoinette's life. It does take elements from the first two features and feels like an extension of that. To me, it also makes, I know it's like a trilogy, but it makes an intriguing companion piece to The Bling Ring, which was from 2013. So what did you think of Marie Antoinette?
1: I I think Marie Antoinette gets such a bad rep. It does. Because (laughs) I I think that and The Beguiled both sort of have the same detractors but i think that marie antoinette somehow was the movie that like stuck in people's brains as thinking that sophia was like apologizing for marie antoinette which i think is so funny because it's like okay it was Mm -hmm. like hundreds of years ago but (laughs) whatever and like how many terrible movies have we gotten about terrible men that basically like excuse their behavior or whatever. But I agree with you. I definitely think that it is the most overly stylized. Mm -hmm. And I think that it often feels like it often feels like I'm watching a music video rather than a movie, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but so much of it feels very abstract Like you're just getting snippets of her life and like little (laughs) vignettes and that there's not like a really linear form. Although it is obviously linear because you start before she gets married to Schwartzman's character and then they have their very unhappy weird marriage and then she has a kid and then she like very much gets like her court of admirers and then obviously things are getting worse and we get to the famed, you know. End of Marie Antoinette, or whatever. So, there obviously mm-hmm. is a very linear story that's happening, but I, I think about it more when I think about the film in those scenes of like her eating the cake and her shoe closet and them running around Versailles and her and like her lovers. And so, there's something about it that feels more like a collection of memories yes. rather than straightforward film. And I feel like that was obviously very intentional. Like, I think that she is not necessarily interested. She clearly is not interested in like what leads to the revolution, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. not like what Sophia is trying to do. I think she's more interested in the idea again of like, it must be incredibly lonely to be someone who is essentially sold into a marriage To secure peace between countries filled with people you're never going to meet. Your parents are like, okay, good luck, deuces. I know. (laughs) You know, like Like, I think that I think if you're talking about like isolation, like I personally believe like down with the monarchy, guillotines, etc. But I think Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about like what could be the most isolating experience I think it doesn't get much higher than that. And so I also think so I, so I really like that because I think that she does something very interesting in making something so, so soaked with like a lot of very feminine presentation between like the gowns and the cakes and the pretty things. Everything is pretty or fragile or delicate or beautiful. And all of that sort of builds and builds and builds upon itself until it's it was never practical, and no. then it just no longer becomes tenable. And I think it's very interesting to to watch how Marie Antoinette's character first like flourishes in that, and mm-hmm. then is increasingly weighed down and of course like corrupted by it by the end. Very but
2: much. But I I yeah. just
1: yeah I I like it very much. I I don't know if it's done. St- Best because I still I still maybe think that I like her work in Virgin Suicide I do too more yeah. but I do think it's it's such a good use of like Dunst's youthful like very cheeky adolescence like everything in Marie Antoinette I feel like is done with a wink toward us. Yeah. And I think Dunst was one of, like, the few actresses of, like, that time period who could pull it off. And, like, mm-hmm. I remember when I was young, like, I very much loved Buffy. Like, I loved Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> and I, very much, I very much loved Dunst. And sometimes when I, like, in my mind, try to, like, think... Who else could play like Dunst characters, especially in Coppola movies? I can never really come up with anybody. And it's especially true for Marie Antoinette because I think she just brought like a lot of youthful vivacity to that movie. And I don't know. I don't think it could have worked without her. So it was written for her. Yeah. yeah. So I really enjoy it. I don't I haven't rewatched it in a while, I'll be honest. But okay. I remember really enjoying it when I did and having sort of a soft spot for it and always feeling the need to defend it because I think people immediately had this idea of like, well she's excusing what Marie Antoinette did and I it's know. like, okay, well that's <laughs> okay, whatever, whatever. But yeah.
0: No, I agree with you. And I think she's also using it as an allegory for Marie Antoinette was essentially a rock star before there was rock stars. Um, Mm -hmm. The pastel colors that she uses. I know she mentioned that she wanted it to look like living photography that hadn't faded yet. And I always thought that was interesting rather than a true Barry Lyndon or trying to make it look too much like the paintings of the period. Mm -hmm. She wanted to make it impressionistically there's the pink phase of the film, the white, the black, all the different periods of her life, and then the use of romantic 80s new wave music. Mm-hmm. It, it is like a music video, and she's directed a ton of music videos, but she knows how to use the format to bring her thesis to life about I also enjoy that the first part of the movie, I feel like there's more dialogue and then it gets quieter as it goes on because we do need to understand what that must have been like to be so sheltered and just sort of thrust into this environment at, I don't even know how old she was, maybe like 13 or something. Yeah,
1: like 11 or 12. I almost think that they age her up a little bit. I think in real life she was like 11 or 12. I know yeah but
0: yeah, but,
1: exactly. yeah i think
2: that's
1: a. I also think that's a very good point about like the color scheme because that does add at least for me to that like sort of otherworldly quality because like yeah. it structures my it structures my mind in terms of like what i remember and so there's so much that I remember about the beginning of the film and then toward the end when you know what's coming, I feel like there's so much totality that I only remember a few scenes whereas mm-hmm. it's like the beginning there's so much that you're like, oh, like maybe like, maybe things were okay. I know. <laughs> <were> so bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that soundtrack is so good. That soundtrack is... It's my favorite is, one of be her your soundtracks. Yeah. yeah. So much New Order, like a great amount of new order Susie and the banshees like there's so much great stuff
0: on those
2: soundtracks
0: yeah so next yeah. up is somewhere from 2010 with steven dorf and elle fanning it was a movie i liked but i didn't love initially when i first saw it i mm-hmm. remember thinking at the time it was almost like she was repeating herself a little mm-hmm. but i realize now when i watched it again that it might be her best film Actually, I mean, my favorite is Still Austin Translation. This might be her best one, though. When I watched mm-hmm. it again this year, I was really taken in by it. First half hour, though, I was like, no, I really do. I want to watch this whole thing again. But then it sneaks up on you. And I think a lot of that also has to do with Stephen Dorff's performance, which is incredible. <laughs> he is not somebody I would have like paired with Sophia off the top of my head. And they work wonders. I know you love this movie. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Somewhere.
1: I love it so much. I know you I, do it I is, love that <laughs> it, is, it is definitely it is definitely my favorite part of me feels like I'm, I'm betraying Sophia because it's her only movie which is really like from a male perspective and yet I'm like oh yeah that's my favorite
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had a guy reply that to me on Twitter he's like I know oh, really? this is going to sound bad but because I'm a dude but that's my favorite and it's like no yeah, you're fine it's Yeah. Fine, yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it so much. I do remember I saw it at a press screening in mm-hmm. Georgetown in Washington DC and I remember that there were like a really noticeable amount of walkouts. Okay. And it was one of those things where I was like, Are we watching the same movie? Because it, it takes little, little it takes a little while to get started. But Dorf's performance is so good that I can't even imagine anybody yeah. like tearing themselves away from it. But yes, I love this movie fully. I think, I think a few things. I wrote about it for Brightwall Wall Dark Room oh, last okay. year. Yeah. And I wrote about it for their Los Angeles issue. And the take basically that I had was like, so many of Sophia's movies are about like, isolation and feeling like you're on the outside of something and about like sort of an insane amount of wealth and privilege. And for me, it felt like somewhere was her saying like the height of the American dream, like the thing that we want the most is to disappear and to escape Ah, and to no longer. Yeah. And to no longer be beholden to people who have certain expectations of us and i think that the movie does a very good job in terms of painting you used this before like how claustrophobic la can be and especially like the chateau mormont and this life that steven dorf's character has created for himself which is successful to a certain degree right Mm -hmm. like he was a pretty famous actor he's now like sort of washed up but like still doing good work still handsome enough that random people sleep with him right still hot (laughs) still hot and then he also has this teenage daughter played by al fanning who just adores him and I, I've always really liked how Coppola does father-daughter relationships. And I just really loved this one because I think that it pushes both of their characters. It pushes... <sighs> I, okay, I don't want to get emotional. I, it, I think it just sort of pushes you into thinking, like, what are our responsibilities to people that we love or that we're supposed to love? And how much does it take from you to be that person that that person wants you to be? Okay. Because I think a lot about like Johnny Marco and how you get the sense throughout the movie that like, he wants to be a good dad, but I don't think he knows how to be a good man. Mm -hmm. And I think those two things don't really complement each other. I think that they hurt each other. And so I agree with you that I think when I was watching it, I sort of felt like it was a little bit familiar. Mm -hmm. But by the end, it almost feels like he, you know, Johnny Marco's character is like throwing a grenade into his own life and walking away from it. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember like getting up from the press screening and turning to my friend and being like, Sophia Coppola like quitting movies you know like Ah, because I could almost because I could almost see this being like okay I've made what I want to make I don't want to be part of this ecosystem anymore I don't want to be burnt out I don't want to be washed up like I'm out and so I feel like there's such finality to that final shot of like him parking his car and just walking away yeah. And it might, it might be the Coppola that makes me the most emotional because there's just something, there's something that I've always responded to in terms of like these narratives about people that want to disappear. And I don't mean that in like a super depressing way. I just think it's a very fascinating idea of walking away from your life and like how much selfishness does that take and also how much strength So it's an idea that I almost think is, like, the bravest thing you can do and also the weakest thing you can do, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, And so I feel like it's very interesting to me that that was sort of where she went in this story about L.A. and about Hollywood and about, like, the environment in which she grew up very true. So, yeah. So, I don't I don't know, man. I I don't want to get emotional, but I think it's the movie, I think it's the Coppola that makes me cry the most because there's just something very. about it. There's something about it that is like very primal for me um and just makes me really upset.
0: <laughs> no, I'm with you. Yeah. I think it is her most personal and what you were saying at the end about him just kind of walking away and wondering if she was quitting movies to me, it's like she is preparing herself for her next phase, motherhood. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like this is the movie where she decided, no, I want to be a mother. I, it'd be interesting to actually look up when her daughters were born and which when that happened. But I feel like she was kind of heading that direction because I feel like the movie itself is about our interaction with one another and what we do for love and how we maybe use love as currency. There's an interesting undercurrent going on in the film about performative, um, performative affection. And also the different ways he's an actor. And he watches strippers with boredom uh, early on in the movie. And then it's interesting because at first I was like, why do we have two full sequences where these yeah. beautiful dual strippers are doing these... Elaborate sequences with their pathetic, sad little pulls that they bring into Mm -hmm. the hotel room. Mm -hmm. But then it dawned on me this time they're both blonde and it's cut very quickly. Like there's like a scene, maybe two scenes. And then we see him bring his daughter to the skating rink and she's blonde and attractive. Mm -hmm. And she does an entire performance to, I believe it's Gwen Stefani's Cool. I know we're cool And he has the same Sort of disinterested posture Or I wouldn't say Disinterested he wants to be interested But he can't fully disengage from Himself or what does this mean And of course there's also the link Of how did the girls in Sequence A become The strippers And so she is asking these Questions about Father daughter relationships Male female relationships that i think it's a good journey to follow him on it's Mm -hmm. one that i'm sure she's had issues with with her own father i feel like this one goes with on the rocks on the rocks is the lighter frothier uh 80s movie version of this this to Mm -hmm. me feels like it's kind of weird to say, but like an American foreign film. She takes a lot of inspiration from Juan Kar-wai, Antonioni, this one, Romare a little bit. This one to me feels like her most Fellini movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I could see like her watching a little bit of Fellini. I mean, she's used Fellini before in her films, but this one feels the most like her version of that. And I think the Chateau Marmont has so many ghosts lurking through it. So much sadness has happened in those walls. And the narrow hallways that we see so many times, Mm -hmm. the sense of claustrophobia. It's a fascinating movie. There's a lot to it. So now I totally want to read your Brightwall piece. And I think, yeah, this would be an interesting one for people to break down. But it is the most emotional. That sequence where they go underwater and are doing the tea party. I can't. I cry. I, can't, oh I cry God. every time, every time. Because yeah, because
1: you so because you feel. God damn it. you I'm feel sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You feel how much he wants to be better. Yes. Like like I think that she makes it very clear from the beginning that he's like a narcissist, a sex addict, like. I always think about that George Clooney quote where he says that, like, fame freezes you at the age when you became famous
2: oh and that's
1: so, beautifully
2: put yeah
1: yeah and so i always think about like well how old was johnny marco's character when he became famous because he still does all the stuff that like a teenage boy would do mm-hmm. like plays like tons of video games like with his best friend they just chase know, girls all the yes. time. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they you know like they chase girls all the time like he doesn't he doesn't care for his daughter. She cares for him. Like she cooks him these like elaborate meals that you wouldn't expect her to be able to make. And then I always think of like how shattered she is when they go, is it to Italy or to France? But like he had,
0: yeah,
1: that one night where like she wakes up and like his one night stand is there. And I think that I feel like somewhere feels like the movie that is reckoning most with, how people can let you down because very I think much. that version suicides really is like a mystery. Mm-hmm. Boston translation feels like accepting that you're done with something and moving on from that. Mm-hmm. Marie Antoinette is very much like an underseen portrait and trying to find like emotional truth in a historical figure that we often deride but I just feel like somewhere is about like realizing that sometimes the people you love don't love you back or are incapable of loving you back yeah. the way that you need. Yep. And it just, yeah, it just really shatters me very much. And I think too, that it does a very good job as well of thinking about like this entire ecosystem, right? Cause you're right. It's like, how did the twin strippers become twin strippers I know yeah you know and like how long have certain people lived here at this hotel and like how long has Marco's manager been with him and how long has he been living like this and so I think it also sort of again punctures that idea of like yes fame and wealth seem I mean, they're not, they don't seem, they are obvious advantages. Like, Mm -hmm. Johnny Marco gets away with stuff that he would not in real life otherwise. But also, like, but is it worth that level of emotional disconnect from the people who you should be closest to? I don't know. And I think that that's a question that she asks really well. And yeah, I really, I really love it a lot and I think it was the first movie where I was like oh yeah okay Elle Fanning's gonna be a big deal
0: (laughs) I know she is so good good. yeah Yeah. the scene that destroys me is the one where they're in the car and she just starts convulsing into sobs about you know mom has taken off for a little bit there's a question of whether she's gonna return and he's bringing her to camp Mm -hmm. and He is unable to completely soothe her. It's, you know, don't cry. And I think he puts his arm around her and kisses her, but like doesn't pull the car over or doesn't say, look, whatever happens, I'm here for you. Or what you would expect a father to say, or a father probably should say. He's just like, don't cry. And then takes her to Vegas. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's basically what he can do. And when he finally puts her in the cab to go to camp, and he's walking away, the helicopter is going, and he yells almost towards the helicopter. i sorry, I
1: haven't been around.
0: Yes! And it's so devastating, because A, you don't know if she actually really heard it. She just kind of waves and smiles, and it drives away. And B, is it an empty thing, like I'm supposed to say? I think he does genuinely wish he'd been around. But Would he really? You get the sense that he hides out at the Marmont, then he needs to go back to work. He is still trying to find that thing. There's this existential questioning that goes through all of her films. And there's so much to that in Somewhere. I think also this one would be an interesting one to talk to Francis Ford Coppola about his relationship with this movie and maybe his thoughts on it as well. He is from what she called um, in the press notes for on the rocks, the martini generation and how the treatment of women or marriage impacted her because you can't get away from that. Obviously it's the first marriage you see first relationship. So it's an, it's an interesting movie overall. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes. I love it very much. And yeah, I would be really interested to be like, ah, uh, dad,
0: What do you think about this? Yes, I know.
1: But again, I think that, you know, I don't... I don't really think that Sofia Coppola makes villains. No. Like, I I think that even her characters that display, like, very monstrous qualities, like I think about, like, the Lisbon parents and virgin suicides or whatever, like, you understand what their motivations are. Like, I don't agree with them. Yeah, Yeah, but you feel for whatever they themselves are also going through. So as much as Johnny Marco is like an incredibly bad father, (laughs) like really bad, (laughs) like super bad. I agree with you that I think that confession shouted into the helicopter blades, I think is a moment of emotional truth that it took Mm -hmm. him a lot to get to. And he might never, he might never get there again. Yeah. But at least he did it once you know. Exactly. So Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Dorf has ever been better than that either. He was very good in season 3 of True Detective, but I feel like this was another performance that was like exceptional, but I think somewhere is almost like the least talked about of her films. It and really I don't is. know, yeah. and I don't know if that's because it's about a male's perspective. Like, I don't know if people just decided, well, like, Sophia Coppola is only, like, a women's filmmaker, and so
2: let's, we don't like, need to girl. pay. Yeah. Yeah,
1: let's talk about that. And so it's very much like, again, we talk about, like, neither of us, nobody in film criticism that is worth anything wants to be reductive in like their gender takes or in their Mm -hmm. discussion of what, like what women filmmakers do versus what male filmmakers do. But I definitely feel like this movie just wasn't given the treatment that you would expect. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. Yes. No, that's very true. Well, after summer that brings us to the bling ring, which was ripped from the headlines about the group of Calabasas teens trying to find fame by proxy by stealing from their idols in a movie based on true events. I think overall this is maybe one of her weaker, but still good entries. The cast Mm -hmm. and performances are great, especially Emma Watson. One thing I find fascinating about it is it kind of comes full circle. There was a lot of talk back when Marie Antoinette came out that was this her take on strangely people were even wondering if it was the bush administration and i I didn't see that other i was like what Uh, but other people were wondering about like paris hilton or these modern rock stars celebrities that girls Mm. were suddenly looking up to and why and it it's interesting in this because paris hilton is a character that the girls and their friend uh, their guy friend Rob and also I remember on the DVD she was actually the most cooperative and sweetest of all the people that worked on the film it was That's really shocking. interesting. She became like friends with Sophia and offered, you know, you can use my home. Here's my pillows. And she had a good sense of humor about herself and was completely open. And when I, yeah, there's like all these great special features that made me think, boy, Paris Hilton is, I think she'd grown up a little bit, but she's kind of a sweetheart, actually. I mean, she had some sense of humor about, yeah, I had all this stuff. It was like going shopping, you know? And um, that was interesting to me. I, I think overall it's Emma Watson, one of her best performances. There's this old line about how you need to be a nice girl to be able to play mean. And I think sometimes the smart girls are really great at playing vacuous Mm-hmm. What she does with I'm somebody who plays with my hair; it's just like a tick. But the way she plays with her hair or, or develops that California girl—it's almost like a baby ab- affectation—is just perfection. So, what do you think about the bling ring, Roxana? I,
1: I definitely think that it is one of Sophia's like weaker films. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I also think. It is probably like her best analysis of her own work, if that makes sense. Like, I think, like, I think that I find the blingering really interesting because I think that it almost gets sort of meta, and I think that Sophia is almost like analyzing her own films and sort of <laughs> winking at the fact that there is sort of a criticism as to like her sort of narrow perspective of like rich white women and that she is providing them interiority that on the one hand I think is compelling and interesting, but I could also see people saying like, huh, it seems like you only make one type of movie. So I almost, yes, I (laughs) feel like, I almost feel like the bling ring is a reaction to that and almost a defense of it because I think that, It rightfully points out that, like, people will go to impressive, criminal lengths Mm -hmm. to have this kind of lifestyle. Because, again, we are so consumed with appearances and performances without an understanding of, like, what lurks beneath that. Mm -hmm. So, I both like it because, like you said, I think the performances are great. Watson is great I think you know like Emma Watson in that clubbing scene it's like oh okay like hilarious like it's a very self-aware performance and I think that um, she always reminded me of like the hot baby affect from 30 Rock (laughs) Yeah. so like I think that she is doing something really interesting and I think that like from a technique point of view I think that the way that Coppola shoots it is really interesting because I'm thinking a a lot about those scenes where, like, she is showing the teens. It's almost like stop motion or time lapse where they're moving through. Yes. Yeah, where they're, like, inside the houses. And so I think that she is doing, like, some visual stuff that's really interesting that she hasn't done before. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of one of those movies that I almost feel like still is an appropriate analysis of how much like social media has changed our understanding of fame and celebrity and in one way it has equalized a lot of things because Mm -hmm. now you don't just have like film celebrities and tv celebrities you also have like reality tv celebrities and scripted reality tv celebrities and instagram influencers and stuff like that so i think that It was a smart analysis of how fame has become an equalizer and how you could think to yourself, like, well, if everybody can be famous, why can't I be famous? Yeah. You know, so I think she captured that mentality very well. I just don't know what else the film offers outside of that.
0: Yes, I think it's about empty consumerism and again, looking for meaning because Mm. it's interesting to see them just completely go and just grab things even without looking. Like, oh, I'm moving to my dad's place in Vegas. Like, oh, it's Orlando Bloom's painting. I'm just going to grab it. That Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And then they run out of room to store all the swag and they don't even need it or really enjoy it. It's almost just something that we have and that's also juxtaposed with uh leslie mann who's always funny as the mom of the girls and she is homeschooling them with lessons from the secret which is what was the phrase like getting things in your life through the power of attraction or something Mm -hmm. and it's just empty all around again it's sort of like what I go back with lesson translation as being like a spiritual or money or emptiness, needing to find that thing that makes you, you Mm -hmm. or defines you. And it's also about peer pressure. I mean, there's a lot going on there, but I don't feel it's as rich as Mm -hmm. some of her other films. Mm -hmm. I think we kind of get the point pretty quickly and then it's, it's an exercise in style. And I mean, it's still enjoyable, but yeah. Not on the same level. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I also wonder, it is one of those where I've sort of thought about, like, I almost wonder if there was anything else that she could have done but i don't necessarily like to make it more rich but i don't necessarily think so i mean i think it's very much like a snapshot of the kind of mentality that leads Mm -hmm. to this criminal behavior and you're right like a snapshot of a certain kind of vacuousness like it doesn't matter what any of this is it just says chanel yeah that's and that's almost why i feel like it's sort of like a rebuke to her detractors because i do think that Sophia is very intentional in the way that she crafts these lives like she's not just littering things with empty signifiers because she can like i think that she thinks through what she is going to present and the only way i say the only reason i say that is because i know that after on the rocks came out i think there was a piece at maybe at slate or somewhere else where it was like all of the really expensive things that you missed in on the rocks. And it was Mm -hmm. like a list of um, like all the designer stuff that the characters had. So not the point. Yeah. And and it was one of those things where it's like, I agree with you that like her movies are like exercises in like wealthy people details. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly as you said, but that's not really the point and would you do that with any other movie because what i remember funnily enough is i had to watch one of those like adam sandler jennifer aniston movies murder mystery on netflix oh, and i remember awful. yeah yeah and i remember that movie like the entire purpose like the central setup of that movie was that like Sandler's character was like a police detective in New York City and like he they, he didn't make enough money and Jennifer Aniston's character was like a salon owner and their mm-hmm. house was about to be repossessed and it was like it was very economically based like the entire plot was about how they were like hurting for money and then in one scene Aniston's character is wearing like a designer dress and like
2: $10,000 <laughs> diamond
1: earrings and I remember thinking to myself like that's a bad detail like if the entire point of your movie is that these people are working class then make it so but like Sophia is very matter of fact about the people that who are in her movies are Mm -hmm. wealthy like it's just it is what it is but she's looking at like the other aspects of their lives so I just remember seeing that post and thinking to myself like was that really the best Is that really the best use of your time while watching
0: watching this movie but yeah it's funny you make that point about murder mystery uh because I think that might be what it's called I remember I actually shut it off I think like after 20 minutes I was so bored but I remember they mentioned I think it was Claritin by name like Mm -hmm. four times they mentioned the name of like a drug that you could buy at the store and it just seemed like Overkill, the whole movie was essentially commercial. I mean, Sandler has been completely open about the fact that he makes these movies to, to go get on vacation, get yeah, yeah, get his friends paid and hey, if he can, why not? But I agree that they do kind of go overboard, especially with Sophia and female filmmakers as a rule. Yeah. yeah. Well The Bling Ring was followed by The Beguiled, which is based on the novel that was turned into a film. That's the same name With Clint Eastwood Which I actually Have not seen
2: Ooh Yes okay. I okay.
0: admired this one I think I liked it More the first time It takes place In the Civil War Uh, Colin Farrell who was hilarious I remember her saying she cast him because she was asking women when she would drop her kids off at school like who do you fantasize about and Colin Farrell was the most frequent name and so she thought okay that's who mature grown women think about it isn't these like young pretty boys so he's a union soldier that gets found and brought to a girls school where there's I think five of them I think Something yeah, like there's
1: like more of them,
0: but I think yes. like the
1: primary ones. Yeah, I think it's like primarily they're like is it is it five or is it like 4 we
0: We're trying to think, think of the, who it is. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst is back. Al mm-hmm. Fanning, Nicole mm-hmm. Kidman is in this one. Mm-hmm. So did you? What are your thoughts? Did you like the Beguiled?
1: I I thought it was so different. for Coppola like not in a bad way not in a bad way but I remember just thinking like okay so she's done a period piece before that's not entirely unique and like she has depicted female characters who are driven by like sexual desire that's not Mm -hmm. like unique but there is like a vibe to this movie (laughs) Yeah, like a like a tone to this movie that is like very heavy and foreboding and it really not, is. Yeah, it's not like a it's not really a horror movie, but I think it's like the closest she has come to a thriller in yeah. terms of like everybody in this movie is like working against each other. Uh-huh. And I think it's the biggest attempt she's had at like an ensemble in that way because The Bling Ring had like a group of teenagers but for the most part like they were all acting in unison and they were like motivated by a central desire Mm -hmm. by that like capitalist sort of never ending like I need more sort of mentality whereas it feels like in The Beguiled like everybody is working against each other And what Nicole Kidman wants is very different from what Kirsten Dunst wants, which is very different from what Elle Fanning's character wants. So I remember that sort of like competitive spirit from the beginning felt different. Yes, true. And then I think that this is also maybe the only time that she has had like, a male figure who intrudes on and then by his very presence destroys a female space.
0: Um, Ah, no, I think you're right. I think that is the point. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Because I mean like virgin suicides, like the boys are observers and like
0: fascinated.
1: Yeah. Are fascinated, like are very much on the outside. But their agenda of like figuring out what happens to the girls is after. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you don't really have, I think, any other sort of meaningful male characters who are like intruding on other people's lives. But like, I thought that the movie it, it made me very unnerved and it made me very tense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it is also one of those things where I I haven't exactly felt a desire to rewatch it.
2: Okay, I think yeah.
1: just because like I respect what it's doing and I think that this is her these are her ugliest characters and I think that I just don't enjoy it. <laughs> no, I'm with you. <laughs> you know,
0: I like n- Yeah.
1: I agree. Respect it, and I think it's very well made and I think everybody's doing a good job, but I haven't really felt a desire to re watch it and something that had colored my opinion afterward was Angelica Jade Bastien wrote a piece for Vulture about how you sort of have to reconcile with the fact that like the movie ignores the fact that like they're in the middle of the civil war and like slaves would be everywhere on this plantation. (laughs) And And so I remember reading that piece and like Angelica sort of makes the argument that like, you can't view the movie without that knowledge but then when you do have that knowledge it sort of makes like all of the characters' motivations more sinister mm-hmm. so it was a very interesting read and i probably should revisit it cuz i haven't watched it in a while but i think there's something about it that is just like darker and a little bit nastier than her other work and i think she did it well i just it doesn't have as much rewatch value for me
0: No, it's true. And visually, the film is much darker. Like, Mm -hmm. when I watch it in my family room, I live in Phoenix, and I have curtains that kind of block it out, but the sun just floods in, and you're, like, Mm -hmm. barely able to recognize what's going on the screen sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this was the first rewatch for me. I remember thinking it was far more effective the first time. But this time, watching it in quick succession after somewhere... Kind of made me see what she is saying about again, performance Mm -hmm. and uh, the male female dynamic, and the way that Colin Farrell plays to every woman or every woman on a different level and manipulates, and kind of what we tell people for love or what we are looking for, and how we are viewed or how we view someone can affect your relationships. And I think there's a lot going on in that level. I agree with Angelica. I think that is unfortunate and it's very glaring that they ignored it, but Mm -hmm. I believe she said she didn't want to, it wasn't her place or she didn't want to. Yeah. And I don't think
1: that's, and I think that's a valid explanation. Yes. But then I also think it's one of those things where it's like, but you still picked the project. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? she could have said it at a different time, even. Yeah, um, or done something with it that way. Mm-hmm. I think the acting is great. It is a different side of Kirsten Dunst, although she does like she, to bring out a different side of her each time, which she's is so
1: good, but she's so unsettling, and she makes yes. me so upset. Like, I know
0: because by the, the end final of the film,
1: scene, yeah, yes. oh
0: my god. I know it's yeah. kind of a chilling one. Um, mm-hmm. I would say if we're going for like a foreign, it seems like to me it would have come out of Denmark or been in like one of the dogma films. Like mm-hmm. that's the kind of tone I feel like it's going for with the naturalist st- style. And mm-hmm. It's just like night and day when you watch that and then you watch her other distinctly period. I mean, of course, Virgin Suicides is a period film, but her distinctly period, uh, Marie Antoinette and what she's saying. She's also kind of, I think, using darkness to say these women were isolated. They were dark. I mean, that movie in particular, they've all been weird to watch during quarantine uh, because... I am high risk, so I've been very, very isolated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I go run errands and stuff, but that one was the most unnerving, I will say, to watch right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is surprisingly spooky. I mean, like, I don't
1: know, like, I don't know that I, to be frank, I don't know that she had it in her. Like, I don't think I yeah. expected that. But no. I remember, like, being in the theater and watching it. And exactly as you say, Colin Farrell is, like, wheeling and dealing his way <laughs> through these women.
2: And I, I was know. like, oh,
1: my God.
2: I <laughs> You know. are
1: terrible, but so good. And it was also, like, I think I might be wrong. But I think it was, like, right around the time that he was also in, like, Miss Julie with Jessica I Chastain. You're right, yes. Yeah, and he's also operating in that same mode of just,
0: like, real
1: yeah. relentless, manipulative, sexy asshole.
0: <laughs> he's got just, that thing down, yeah. yeah. He's so
1: good at that. So it, it is exceptional casting, I think. And I think a lot about Nicole Kidman's, like, sponge bath of him when he's unconscious. Yeah. And how, like, sexually frustrated and torn and she just, like, is. overwhelmed yeah. with emotion she is. So there's, like, a lot of really good stuff in that movie. I just, I remember it really, it's it's so swerved for me, mm-hmm. what I expected from her. But I also think that you're right, that it, again, takes that sense of, like, actual physical isolation. And how does that, like, transform you into somebody mm-hmm. you wouldn't even recognize? And I think that that's really good. And everybody's like playing against type. Like Dunst is is very different from Marie Antoinette (laughs) and from Lux. And then Elle Fanning's character. I
0: know. She's a little temptress. Yeah. Yeah. She is terrible. (laughs) I know.
1: Everyone is a bad person. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it was really interesting. I remember reading somebody critiquing Dunst and saying she was wrong. I haven't seen the original, but I guess her uh, character in that was played by an actress who was playing or was a little bit more homely or plain. I hate that word homely, but that's what they were describing her as. And in this, you know, Dunst is far too beautiful to be playing her part. I thought she did it well. I thought she Mm -hmm. was buttoned up and restrained and she probably doesn't that old thing you read in bad screenplays like she doesn't know how beautiful she is that like, right yes, yes. but yeah. that is exactly and you wonder when you're watching like which one of these men that he is presenting himself with are any of them him yeah. or which one is he because you understand his frustration by the end and you you understand some of his rage and you don't know if that's even what he's really like, or if he's just been pushed past the breaking point of being around these women and not being Mm -hmm. able to do anything or go anywhere. So yeah, there's a lot of questions surrounding his character and his Mm -hmm. motives. That makes it interesting, but not one that you would revisit in her filmography as often.
1: Yeah, for sure. But (sighs) It is really good though. Now I it almost is. want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, go for it. Well, ignoring her music videos and concert music specials, this brings us of course to On the Rocks. Mm-hmm. I loved writing about this one. I found it really charming. It was it felt like kind of a period film. It was inspired by, I guess, Buck Henry, the screenwriter, challenged okay. her to write more dialogue said you know your characters don't really talk much so you need to write a chattier script if you're writing a comedy and Mm -hmm. so that challenged her and i think she pulled it off very well there's a nice banter i think uh rashida jones is a great double for her because she has her own relationship with her father quincy jones yes Mm -hmm. with fame and what it must be like for him To probably come on to every woman or, hit, or be hit on by every woman yeah. Kind of like Francis uh, Ford Coppola and his Legendary relationships And mistresses over the years So there's a lot Going on in this one um, In the film in case you haven't seen it Just describing to everybody uh, Rashida Jones plays a married Writer of two girls That's familiar, that's Sophia Coppola mm-hmm. uh, With a successful husband Who travels and she is worried. It is Marlon Wayans. Uh, yeah. believe, yes. Plays her husband. He's very good. And she's worried that he might be 2 timer. her. And her father, who is a larger-than-life art collector, played by Bill Murray, of course, who Coppola didn't really know if she wanted to recast because everyone loved him so much in Lost in Translation. But she said mm-hmm. enough time had gone by And she wanted him to play a part she really hadn't seen before, which is a father. Yeah. And he's charming. He gets to sing more songs, which I love. Oh, my gosh. I could listen to him sing Mexicali Rose, like, all day long. So I thought it was very charming. It's a lighter, frothier film. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of perfect for this time of year. It's not just a completely breezy summer comedy, but it's not heavy winter film. Interestingly, I thought it was heading in far more dramatic, like Ozu territory, toward the end. And I wonder if there's a different version of the script somewhere. But other than that, enjoyed it. What did you think, Roxana?
1: I also enjoyed it. I I was thinking about this earlier today, because I rewatched some of it before our recording. I almost feel like it's her happiest movie, mm-hmm. and I don't. You know, and I don't necessarily know if Sophia Coppola can make like a straight happy movie. Because the ending the ending is still for me pretty upsetting because it's the explosion of one relationship that is still so formative I would think in your life, Mm -hmm. in anybody's life. But I agree with you that there is like a certain lightness to it. It almost has like a caper quality.
0: It really does. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, it sort of reminds me of, like, those, like, turn, not turn of the century, but, like, early sort of black and white comedies. And, like,
2: they're and then, just some, yeah. like,
1: ridiculous hijinks that they get up to. Yes. And I I think that, I think Rashida, like you said, is very good because I think that she brings a sort of, like, lived in quality to this I mean growing up as Clancy Jones's daughter and also like you know like her mother Peggy Lipton also was like not a slouch either also incredibly famous you know and I also think like Rashida's came up at a time her sister Kadada was like engaged to Tupac so I think Rashida has always had like certain view of fame that is very Mm -hmm. unique and like multifaceted and I liked her very obvious portrayal of Sophia here because I think you know like even though she very obviously is Sophia I think she also very obviously is like a ton of women who lose themselves in motherhood and being a wife and it is difficult to carve time out for yourself and be mm-hmm. your own person. And so I think one of my favorite scenes is when, you know, so just like context or whatever, for anybody who is listening who hasn't seen it. And to be fair, it is sort of difficult to watch because it's exclusive yes. to Apple TV+. I know. So that's sort of a thing. But, um, right, so Rashida, the Rashida character, the Sophia character, is mm-hmm. a writer who sold a book. Um, before writing it and so now she actually needs to write it
2: <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> and um i'm sure that's something that all of us who are writers hopefully one day oh, can God, sympathize yes. with I yeah <laughs> yeah and so like she is having trouble finding time like in her day to write because she just like is doing childcare full-time 24 7 and like her husband who you think for the whole movie might potentially be cheating on her. That's like the, the caper quality a couple of times. He's just like, well, you need to make time for yourself. Yeah. And I love that sort of empty advice because it's like, how would I do that? I know. Take an active you know, role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like how would that happen? Yeah. And I just feel like all of us can identify with that. Like anybody who is attempting to do Something creative, or honestly, even if you're not trying to do something creative, like even if you're just overwhelmed by whatever responsibilities you have, it's like, okay, how do I actively make time yeah. to find myself again? And I think that on the rocks is sort of an interesting comparison with a movie like somewhere because it's very clear that Rashida's character like loves her kids, like that's not in oh, question. Yes. Uh-huh. you know like it's not like the steven Dorf character of like does he actually love his daughter like mm-hmm. she he loves he her children yeah right yeah like she loves her children she loves her husband but like where is she in this family like
2: mm-hmm. what is
1: her identity anymore and again we see tons of this sort of perspective from like male filmmakers You know, so I think it's very interesting to get that from a, it's crazy to think Sophia's nearly 50, but, like, Mm -hmm. a nearly 50-year-old creative who is, like, looking back on their life and thinking, like, well, what's my creative process and, like, how did I get here? And so I like that something that is, like, that self-reflective is also paired with, like... Once again, outlandish great Bill Murray, yeah, who knows like all of New York City, and I I know he's a walking guidebook. Yes, yeah. So I also really liked that element of it because I I think it spoke to like a certain kind of New Yorker of whom there are fewer and fewer.
2: Yeah, where it's like.
1: You know, like you grew up in the whole city. Like you grew up in these galleries and these apartment buildings. Like you know, all the doormen, all the maitre d's,
0: mm-hmm. all the waiters, all the police and police officers,
1: yeah, even. All the police officers.
0: Yeah. I love that, scene.
1: Yes. I love that <laughs> scene. Yeah. So I think that that's also very interesting, too, because I think it's like the end of a certain kind of time and like an era of New York when you could do that. And so I, you know, it is, yes, it's another movie about like very rich people. (laughs) First world problems, but... They're very first world problems. But relatable. Yeah. But relatable. And I think, like, another one where I think that she is saying something more intrinsic about the human experience and, like, how do we get lost and how do you get isolated from yourself and how do you find your way back to yourself? And I think that that is very... You know, again, like a variation on a theme that she's explored her entire career. But, again, I thought pretty resonantly. And yes. I loved that they have a Bernie 2016 sticker in their apartment. I don't know if you noticed that while
2: you were
0: watching. <laughs> I didn't, actually. That's so funny. <laughs>
1: oh, Sofia Coppola noted Bernie, bro. So that was yeah. very, very funny that for me. funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. It is very, very entertaining. Uh my favorite scene that I think is really relatable is when she goes to her husband's work party. And it's so always, relatable. Yeah, it's always hard when you're with somebody and they're surrounded by like adoring people of the opposite sex, because of course you want to be supportive and you love that your husband gets along with his coworkers or your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's a little weird because they spend more time with them. They, They know them on a level you cannot. But what my favorite part of that whole sequence is he tries to introduce her to people or she walks up to people. And because it's like his work life and his home life, They Mm -hmm. look at each, like, she gets looked at like she has three heads, almost, like, oh, okay, and they don't know how to engage, and I found that extremely relatable, although I'm a noted person who feels awkward at parties and finds it really hard to just click, Mm -hmm. so... I I'm better like one-on-one or small groups, but mm-hmm. so I just felt like that whole party sequence is like, yes, I've been there a million times.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. And I also think what was really interesting about that scene is that like, there were no other work spouses or like partners. I know. It was so strange. So yeah. she's just like wandering through this party. But I also think that that scene did a good job demonstrating that like, there is now like a lack of intimacy in that marriage
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: they do, even if he is not cheating or whatever the outcome of like her father's investigation is, there yeah. still needs to be like a reassessment of their relationship and their marriage and i think that again something that like i think is probably super recognizable to a lot of us where it's like you get stuck in certain patterns in your relationship and it's like wait how did we get here yes you know like how did she end up being almost the exclusive caretaker for their children and like how is she supposed to like do her Our job time. Yeah, yeah at the same time and all of that stuff and then just from like an aesthetic point of view like again i feel like coppola's eye for detail is always so good because it's it like is. i feel like you got a sense of like okay they're clearly wealthy but they're not at the wealthy level of her father mm-hmm. and they're not at the wealthy level of his mother because that insane palatial estate like that I old know. money yeah yeah the old money brick estate that they go to to like spend time with grandma so i think again it does a good job of like okay so what are the expectations of generational wealth Mm -hmm. and like how would they view her husband who's trying to like carve something out for himself and how do they view her like i love the moment of her grandmother being like why would you dress like that
0: I know, it's hilarious, yes. Yeah. yeah,
1: so I think it's it's also good, because I think it's, like, one of the most domestic movies we've seen her do, Yeah. in terms of you get the real sense life. of, like, yeah, the real life of, like, who are these people's families, and, like, who are their judgmental grandmothers, and, like, who are their neighbors, and so
2: mm-hmm. I think
1: in that way it feels very, again, like, concrete and like down to earth in a way that some of her other more like fantastical, like ephemeral movies don't feel. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you. I could see this being like an autumn rewatch because it is very funny. And Rashida and Bill Murray do have really good chemistry together.
0: They do. Yeah. No, I agree with you. One interesting thing about her movies is her characters are either kind of shy or withdrawn they don't seem to have a lot of close relationships with others yeah Yeah, and in this one i mean jenny slate's character is hilarious but she's very annoying and self-involved and keeps trying to talk to her at the drop-off for the kids which i think everyone can relate to like that person who's basically just monologuing their problems their whole life. Yes, or complaining, and I hate it when people try to connect with you, and all they do is, like, complain the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not your therapist. But one thing that is interesting through her filmography, you don't see a lot of close friendships. Like, in The Bling Ring, they seem transactional, Mm -hmm. and um, except somewhere, but it's somebody from childhood. I think she's also, in this sense of isolation, maybe making a point that it's hard to form new relationships or connect with people today Mm -hmm. and um, I kind of got that in on the rocks she didn't seem to have anybody really to lean on or talk to and so there's kind of that undercurrent I think it also probably was to help with keep the cost down like not a lot of scenes or new sets that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a lot of fun there's caper elements the old alfa romeo that he drives is you know it backfires more than it accelerates i think i wrote in my <laughs> review but yeah it's it's a really enjoyable one so i'm anxious to see what she does next
1: yeah yes. I'm, I'm curious if she sort of stays in this fear or if she maybe adapts something else again because like you said like she is so autobiographical and mm-hmm. i think this film almost felt a bit like a confession of like, it's in, yeah. You know Like getting something off her chest in terms of making space in her life for other relationships. And mm-hmm. I don't like take it to mean that like her and Francis don't have a relationship anymore. No. Like I don't think, you know, like I don't think she's that strictly autobiographical, but yeah. I do think that it's like a commentary on like in the phases of your life, how do you decide who is the most important at any given time? And like, yes. how do you decide who has like earned your trust? Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was really nuanced and interesting. And I also think you're right that she doesn't really create films with a lot of friendships, whether, you know, interestingly despite having, like, you know, again, like, a lot of female-focused films,
2: mm-hmm. I don't
1: think she's necessarily interested in female friendships. I think she's no, always... She's not. Yeah, I think she's always interested in, like, the primary character, and just through their lens and their filter, what is the world that they're living in. And mm-hmm. I do think that that's interesting, but I do wonder, does that give her space, then, maybe, maybe? To consider like a friend group or something else yeah. in the future and like expand her assessment of like what mm-hmm. it is like, yeah. the, the human condition, you know what I mean? Yep. In its rarefied wealthy space. <laughs> but, like, I, yeah, I, I also enjoyed it a little bit more than I expected because the trailer didn't do much for me, but Bill Murray was very charming. Yeah. Bill Murray was very charming, and I thought Rashida was really good. But I also think that, like, I don't think that her movies
0: are ever cut well for trailers. I agree. I, How do you, you choose? Know? Yeah, it, they're yeah. kind of a mood. Like, tease the new phrase. Like, it's a mood, or it's a, mood. They're a feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think There's, very there's, much a, there's a vibe, you know. Yeah, to
1: build the vibe. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's very. <laughs> it's it's very selfishly reassuring that we talked about all her movies and I was like, Oh yeah, I like that. And that one and all of them.
0: (laughs) I've enjoyed all of them. Exactly. On different levels. Well, this was so much fun to break them down with you. I loved chatting so much. Are there any other movies unrelated to Sophia that you've seen lately that you would like to recommend to listeners (sighs) before we go? Man, that is a very good question. Well, first of all, thank you for
1: having me on. This was a delight. Like it really, really was. was. Thank, thank you. you. I really, I do not feel like I get to talk about Sophia as often as I would like. And your questions Likewise. were so insightful and thoughtful, and so I just appreciate oh being geez, it on. Um, man, movies to recommend to people. Um, if people are looking for something that came out earlier this year, I really liked the movie Saint Francis. Okay. That is also sort of a character study. It is about a woman in her thirties who gets an abortion and then takes a nannying job and sort of like the extremes of those experiences and how she sort of like grows and reassesses herself. And I thought it was very realistic and beautiful and really funny. It just like sort of ran the gamut. Um, and if you're looking for something new that's coming out um the new riz ahmed movie sound of metal is being released by amazon i think it's limited yeah i think it's in limited theaters november 25th and then it hits streaming december 4th um i saw it last year at tiff and i thought it was the best movie i saw at the festival and i just haven't stopped i haven't stopped thinking about it it's so technically Inventive in what it does with sound and with the absence of sound. And I also cool. think it's just Ahmed's greatest performance. And the very last thing I would say is Minari, which has been getting like tons of online buzz. It's a Steven Yoon A24 movie. It is about a Korean family that moves like to the American heartland from california to like make a new life for themselves and there had been like a lot of question about when A24 would release that but they're giving it like a limited theater run in december so that it can okay. qualify for award stuff and that is also exceptional
0: and i would recommend okay i'm gonna be on the lookout for all of those <laughs> well thank you so much this was just a blast roxana and it was just so easy and nice chatting with you good i'm glad thank you this is jen johans at filmintuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and letterboxd and this is watch with jen and friends